0: He's he's a big guy with an even bigger servant heart. And so he said, yeah, absolutely, buddy. This is no problem for me. I got this. Absolutely, I'd be happy to carry you up to heaven. And, and, and by all means, this, this guy, Jordan, he picked me up, put me on his back. And he carried me the whole of the way, rest of the way up those stairs, all the way to heaven. And so Jordan and I arrive. He carries me right up to the pearly gates. And St. Peter, he looks at me. He says, Luke, I'm so glad you're here. Come on in. But you're going to have to leave your donkey outside. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Jordan. Uh, Been waiting a long time for that. Hey, it's good to be here with you today. Like Jordan said, my name's Luke. I uh, pastor down on the west side of Indianapolis at Plainfield Christian Church. I, uh, my wife, Rebecca, was unable to be here today, and we have two little boys, and I would love for them to be here and meet you all, but uh, I'm grateful to get to gather with God's people and worship. And uh, uh, Jordan has been a, a good friend of mine for a few years now. We've had the opportunity to talk shop and sermons together and share meals together and laugh and pray together, and I just got to tell you before we jump in, I've learned so much from this man, the Green Church of Christ. You all are blessed. Um, to get to sit under Jordan's wisdom and leadership and love every week. could we just show him our appreciation today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Would you join me in prayer? As the deer pants for streams of water, Lord, so our souls pant for you. Our souls Thirst for you, God. Father, we want to give you more of us so that we may have more of you. In Jesus' name, Amen. This is cranberry juice. Now I bought this cranberry juice at Walmart and I brought it all the way here to Etna Green because there's something very interesting about this cranberry juice. On the front label here it says cranberry and then right there it says 100% juice. Real juice, 100% juice. But then if you turn it around to the side and you read those tiny little words, the ones they don't want you to read, you know, you'll notice that it, it, it has some other things in it. It says ingredients. Apple juice concentrate, cranberry juice concentrate, pear juice concentrate, citric acid, natural flavor, fruit and vegetable extract, ascorbic acid, vitamin E palmitate, and vitamin E acetate. Now, I don't even know what all those things are. Those are some big words. In other words, this this juice, this cranberry juice, is claiming to be 100% juice, real, authentic, the absolute real thing. But instead of being cranberry-filled... It's just cranberry flavored. Now there's a difference. Instead of being totally genuine, 100% true, no imitation, the real deal, 100% cranberry filled. It's just diluted. It's just cranberry flavored. So let me ask you a question today. Are you spirit filled? Or are you just spirit flavored? Because I don't want to be just spirit-flavored. Do you? I mean, I don't want to fill my life with all kinds of of lesser things. I don't want to be part of just a spirit-flavored church. I don't want to just rely on having the right answers and going through the right rituals and having the best music and good education and great sermons and all the things that the world tells us we need to have to be successful with a little dose of the Holy Spirit thrown in just to make it taste like God so that I look like a Christian. I I don't want to just be Spirit-flavored. I I want the Holy Spirit to fill every part of my heart. I want Him to control every aspect of my day, every fiber of my being. I want everything that we do as a church, the Capital C Church, to be inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit, don't you? I don't want to just be Spirit-flavored. I want to be Spirit-filled. So let me ask you a question. Are you Spirit-filled or just Spirit-flavored? If you've got your Bibles this morning, open them up with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I know you all have been going through 1 Thessalonians. We're going to take a a little bit of a detour, a little bit of a break this week. And we'll just be landing in Ephesians 5. And specifically, I want to hone in on one part of one verse. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Because the Apostle Paul makes it very clear about whether we should be spirit-flavored or spirit-filled. In Ephesians 5.18, he says this, he says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Just a few short words, be filled with the Spirit. But I want to really zoom in here this morning. I want us to look really closely at this Verse. And I think the first thing we obviously notice about this verse is that Paul uses an interesting contrast here. He says, don't get drunk on wine, instead be filled with the Spirit. So he contrasts being filled with the Spirit to being drunk on wine. Now, both alcohol and being filled with the Spirit actually have some similarities in how they affect us. Uh, Both alcohol and the Spirit cause us to speak boldly. You might remember when the the apostles are filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and they start speaking boldly, speaking in tongues, and people thought they were drunk. Well, no, they were just filled with the Spirit. Both alcohol and the Spirit are ways to cope with difficult times. Both alcohol and the Spirit are ways to celebrate happy times. Both alcohol and the Spirit affect our reasoning. Both alcohol and the Spirit affect how and when we do things. But they have opposite effects on how we behave, don't they? The Spirit leads us to speak the words of God, and drunkenness leads us to speak the words of the flesh. The Spirit empowers us, and alcohol slows us down. Alcohol takes away our self-control, but one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. He gives us more self-control. Alcohol takes away our wisdom and discernment. The Spirit gives us more wisdom and discernment. Paul says that being drunk on wine leads to debauchery here, and yet being filled with the Holy Spirit leads to godly living so the Apostle Paul says, hey, don't, don't, don't be drunk. Don't be filled on wine. Be filled with the Spirit instead. Let, let Him into your bloodstream. Let Him be the one to control you. Let Him be the thing that moves you to do things you would not normally do. You can't pick both. Be filled with the Spirit and not be filled on wine. So Paul tells us, hey, be filled with the Spirit. This little interesting contrast. But let's zoom in a little even closer, a little beyond the surface here. He says again, he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now let me just nerd out here for a minute. For those of you who were good at English class, you'll enjoy this part. Let's look real close at the grammar of that command. Be filled with the Spirit. I think you'll notice four things. I think the first thing you'll notice is just that. It's a command. It's an imperative. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. This is not just a suggestion. This is not just optional. He's commanding us. Be filled with the Spirit. It's imperative. That's the first thing you notice. The second thing you notice is it's a present tense command. He's not just saying, hey, get filled with the Spirit at some point in the past. It's not a one-time event he's talking about. It's a present reality that we should be living in, seeking every day, every single moment. It's an imperative, and, and it's a present tense imperative. It's something that we should be doing and seeking right now. Third thing I think we notice is that it's a passive verb. In other words, we're not the ones doing the acting. We're the ones being acted upon. We're not the ones doing the filling. We are the ones... Being filled. He's saying, Let the Spirit fill you. It's not an action we do. It's more like we just surrender and open ourselves and we're the ones acted upon. So it's an imperative, it's present tense, it's passive, and finally, it's a plural verb. Our our, our English doesn't translate this very well, but in the Greek, Paul's saying, He's not just talking to you as an individual or me as an individual, He's saying, Y'all. This is a command that that us as a church, as a community, we should all together be filled with the Spirit. So if we're going to take those four things and kind of retranslate this little command, we could say that all of us as a church, we need to seek to surrender every single day and let the Holy Spirit fill us. Be filled with the Spirit, he says. Now, what does that actually mean? What's that, what's that actually look like? Well, let's just run through the Bible real quick. Let's take three minutes and go through all of Scripture and look at what happens when people get filled with the Holy Spirit. Sound good? Okay, so way back in the beginning, in Genesis, we, we, we see the action of the Holy Spirit. He's active in creating the world. The Spirit hovers over the waters. And then in Genesis, it says the Holy Spirit was in Joseph and gave him wisdom. Then we go to Exodus and we see the Holy Spirit filling one of the men who helped build the tabernacle. Gave him great skill in his craftsmanship. In Numbers, Moses selects some men to help him lead and govern the people. And the Holy Spirit fills and falls upon those men and they prophesy. The book of Numbers also says that Joshua was filled with a spirit of leadership. The book of Judges, the Holy Spirit comes on men like Gideon and Samson and empowers them to do these mighty things, to defend God's people and and defeat God's enemies. King Saul, the Holy Spirit comes on him, causes him to prophesy. King David, you might remember the words of Psalm 51. King David says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. The prophet Haggai says that God's Spirit was among God's people and the result of God's Spirit among God's people was that they weren't afraid. He caused them not to fear. That's a pretty cool characteristic of being filled with the Spirit. And yet the bad news is, the prophet Isaiah says, that God's people rebelled against the Holy Spirit, and they grieved Him. And as a result, the people had to be punished for their sin. But thankfully, that wasn't the end of the story. Because Brahma, God promised to send His Spirit in the future in an even better way. The prophet Ezekiel says that the Holy Spirit would come not just on God's people, like it did in the Old Testament, but actually in God's people. That's an amazing promise, Ezekiel 36, verse 27, God says, I will put my spirit in you. And sure enough, when we flip to the New Testament, we see that promise come true. John the Baptist, the first person to be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. The writer Luke also records a whole lot of people in the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts who were filled with the Holy Spirit. We see Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit. And she blesses Mary. We see Zechariah filled with the Holy Spirit. and He prophesies about his baby, John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit is the one who causes Mary to give birth to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers Jesus' ministry and the one who raises Jesus back to life after he's crucified. And then we come to the book of Acts, and at Pentecost, we see the apostles filled with the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in tongues. That's Acts chapter 2. A couple chapters later in Acts chapter 4, Peter, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he speaks boldly before the Jewish leaders. And then the Holy Spirit fills all the people, and they also begin to speak boldly. In Acts chapter 6, we see Stephen. He's chosen to help serve food to the widows, one of the early deacons, helping to to provide for people in the area. And it says that he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 9, Saul is converted and Ananias places his hands on him so he can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 11 introduces us to Barnabas, who's described as a good man, full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 13, Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit. and He condemns an evil sorcerer. We see the Holy Spirit all over the place. But then, then comes the amazing thing. Once we get past the book of Acts and into the letters, we see that that same Holy Spirit who inspired the prophets, and raised Jesus from the dead, and gave birth to the church, comes and lives in us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you? That's God fulfilling that promise who's from God. In other words, when you went into the waters of that baptistry, the Holy Spirit filled you. He now takes up residence in your body. The same Holy Spirit who empowered Jesus' ministry and raised Him from the dead is coursing through your veins. And yet it's also clear that even though the Holy Spirit lives in us now that we are Christians, we are to continually be seeking more and more of Him. There is more of Him available to us. Paul says it like this in Ephesians chapter 3 when he prays for the church. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, keep in mind, Paul's writing that to the church. These people are already Christians. They already have the Holy Spirit living in them. And yet he prays that they would continually be strengthened with the spirit's power, having more and more of him. And then just two chapters later, we come back to our command. Ephesians 5, be filled with the spirit. So now that we've kind of taken a hundred mile an hour view through all of scripture, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, we kind of see three different types of filling through this little journey that we've just been on. The first type is this. We see that being filled with the Holy Spirit could be just kind of a special temporary thing that happens. Like when it came on when the Holy Spirit came on uh, Gideon or Samson and empowered them for a specific task to do a mighty deed for God's people. So it's a, it could be a temporary thing like it was then. Secondly, being filled with the Spirit could be uh, more of a permanent authorization for a specific role, Uh, like somebody like John the Baptist or like Saul who became Paul. They were filled with the Spirit so that they could take a certain role, do a certain job. But then thirdly, we also see that being filled with the Spirit is kind of a permanent, ongoing characteristic of the believers, people like Stephen and Barnabas and the other believers. So which is it for us? Which should we be seeking? Which should we be praying for? Which should we be expecting? Well, sometimes when we study the Holy Spirit in the Bible, if you've ever done that before, you know we end up with a lot more questions than we do answers. As uh, one of my professors said, the Holy Spirit does what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, and how he wants, with or without your permission. And that's true. Jesus says it like this. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit, he's a lot like a wind, and that's what actually the Hebrew and Greek words for spirit mean. The Hebrew word is ruach. The Greek word is pneuma. And they both mean breath, wind. When the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles in Acts chapter 2, you might say, you remember that he came with the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And you know, the thing is with the wind, you can't really tell where it comes from. You don't really know where he's going. All you know is that it's there and that it's strong. And that if you let it, it'll take you right along with it. Uh, On Labor Day weekend of uh, last year, my wife Rebecca and I were down in southern Indiana hanging out with my family on the shore of a little lake down there when my uncle asked me if I would like to try my hand at sailing his little sailboat. And, you know, I'd never been on one before, so I said, sure, why not, absolutely, sounds great. Now, when I agreed to get on the sailboat, I assumed that that meant that, like, He was going to be coming with me, you know, to like tell me what to do so I didn't get stranded at sea. Uh, But instead, he basically just said, "Ah, you'll figure it out. And he sent me out on the sailboat. And so instead of him actually like getting on and riding with me and telling me what to do, he sent me out on a sailboat with my wife, Rebecca. Now, keep in mind, she's never sailed either. So I could tell this was going to be a wonderfully enriching marriage exercise for us. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm the husband, I'm the fearless leader of my family, uh, you know, I'm undoubtedly the most qualified captain on board, so with one hand on the rudder or the other on the rigging, we set sail off into uncharted waters. And by set sail, I mean we kind of just like floated around in circles while I tried to figure out what in the world I was doing. And I may not be a genius, but it didn't take me very long out on the water to figure out that if the wind didn't blow, I wasn't going anywhere. So we spent quite a while out there on the lake sailing around while I tried to figure out how to get everything positioned, to try to catch the wind just right, to actually get this boat moving across the water. And we're mostly just floating around in circles. And so after a while, I very humbly and graciously offered my wife an opportunity to try her hand at it. Mostly I just wanted her to see it wasn't as easy as it looked. (laughs) And of course, you know, within about 30 seconds, the wind's billowing in our sails and we're flying across the water. And so I decided not to quit my day job. That's why I'm here with you guys today. I learned something that day. I learned something about the wind. I learned that if you let out your sails, it'll take you where it wants you to go. And you may not have much control, but it's going to be a great ride. I hope you know some people like that. I hope you have those kinds of people in your life, people you can look to, people who are just fully open like that. Fully and completely surrendered. People who have unfurled their sails and are just letting the Spirit drive them in every way. So uh, can, can I have a little bit of audience participation this morning? That would be all right. It's warm in here. You all are looking sleepy. Okay, let, let, let's do a little bit of audience participation. Okay, I want you to turn to somebody next to you. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to do this. And I want you to tell them who is the most Spirit-filled person you know. Okay, go ahead. All right, next question. I want you to turn to them, and I want you to answer this. How do you know that they're spirit-filled? What does that look like? Hope you're able to learn a little bit by uh, just talking and thinking about who are the spirit-filled people that you know I think the bible also gives us some hints about what our lives will look like when we are spirit-filled like this not just spirit-flavored So what happens when the spirit fills you? What does that look like? How will that take shape in your life? Well, my guess is that most of the people y'all just mentioned probably aren't famous preachers They probably don't walk around performing miracles everywhere they go. So how do you know that they're spirit-filled? Well, there's just something about the way they undergo their everyday lives, isn't there? There's just something about the way they do even the little things. There's just something about how they live this life of complete and total surrender, even in the normal daily routines. Isn't that true? And I think that's something that the Apostle Paul wants us to learn here in Ephesians chapter 5. Because grammatically here, actually, this command in Ephesians 5:18 to be filled with the Spirit... This is like the heading, the grammatical foundation for everything that comes throughout the rest of the chapter. So everything that comes throughout the rest of the chapter, and he's going to talk about marriage and parenting and work and all those things, it all falls under the heading of be filled with the Spirit. And specifically, if we look at just the following verses, Paul's going to say, be filled with the Spirit. And then he's going to give us four things that are markers so how we can tell somebody's filled with the Spirit. This is what the Spirit-filled life looks like. He says we'll show it by speaking, singing, giving thanks, and submitting. Look at this, verses 18 through 21. Paul says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Did you hear it in there, those those four words? We will show that we are filled with the Spirit by speaking, singing, giving thanks, and submitting. And those are all things we're practicing here on Sunday morning, and hopefully those will all be things we're practicing throughout the week. Spirit-filled people speak and sing about God. Isn't that true of the Spirit-filled people you know in your life? Spirit-filled people know how to submit and serve each other, putting another person's need above their own. Don't you think that's true of the Spirit-filled people that you know? Spirit-filled people know how to be grateful and give thanks even in difficult circumstances. Isn't that true of the Spirit-filled people that you know? Paul continues this for the rest of chapter 5 and into chapter 6. He points out that when we are Spirit-filled, it will show itself in our marriages and in our relationships with our own parents and in how we raise our kids and in our relationships at work. We will be speaking and singing and giving thanks and submitting. We will be filled with the Spirit. Don't you want the Holy Spirit to fill your life like that? I do. I want to be that kind of person. So that brings us back to our question, I guess, for the day. How do we be Spirit-filled and not just Spirit-flavored? Well, in order for us to have more of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has to have more of us. We could think of it like this. Your heart is like a house. And the Holy Spirit's living in your heart. He's living in your house. And we have areas of our hearts, areas of that house that we let the Holy Spirit into. We let him come into the living room. We let him come into the kitchen. We let him go into the bathroom. Maybe we even let him have his own bedroom. But there's also some little corners of our hearts. There's some little areas of our house that we don't like to let him into. We don't like to let him into our stuff. We keep some cabinets and some closets full of our junk that we don't like him to mess with. We don't let him come rummage through our bedroom or get up on our bed. There are some doors in our house that the Holy Spirit isn't allowed to open. There's some rooms we don't let him come into. So how do we have more of the Holy Spirit? We let him have more of us. We spend time getting to know him in his word. We spend time getting to know him through prayer And I think maybe most importantly, we allow him to clean house and convict us of our sin. One of the most convicting prayers and most difficult prayers I've ever prayed in my life, I started praying in college, was, Dear Lord, convict me of the sins I do not see. And I promise, if you pray that prayer, he will answer, (laughs) and it won't be comfortable, and you'll have to undergo the incredibly painful discipline of confession, opening all those little doors. It's been one of the most beneficial things ever in my life, and I think it will be for you too. We get more of the Spirit when we confess, when we open those doors, when we let Him come clean house. When we become people who say yes to the Spirit. I guess if you remember one thing I say today, I want you to remember that. Say yes to the Spirit. When you feel that... Little nudge when you feel him convict you, when you feel him speak to you through something you read in his word or something that a Christian friend challenged you in, when you feel that little tug in your gut, don't stifle it. Because every time we say no, we push him a little further out of the house, our heart gets a little bit harder, we become a little less spirit-filled. But every time you feel that tug in your gut and you say yes, you become a spirit-filled person. He has more of you. I'm so humbled to be here with you all this week. It's fun for me to get to put faces and pictures with all the stories I've heard from Jordan. And he has spoken very highly of your love for the Father and your love for our brothers and sisters. And I commend you because I believe that you're here today because you want to be a person who says yes to the Spirit. So well done. Keep doing that. Please, please, please keep doing that. I don't know... What's going on in your life right now? I don't know what kind of situations or hardships you're in. We all have them. We all have battles we're fighting right now. I don't know what your relationship with God is like, but I've been praying that the Holy Spirit would lay on each of your hearts something He wants you to do, someone He wants you to become. I pray that He would make that very clear in the minutes and hours and days to come that He would prompt you undeniably, and that when He does, you would have the courage to say yes to Him, no matter what He asks you to do, that you would have the courage to be filled with the spirit about 150 years ago there was a great preacher by the name of dwight l moody and through the ministry of d.l moody thousands and thousands of people came to know jesus but dwight moody wasn't always a christian when he was younger in life he was a businessman just trying to get rich but the holy spirit began to convict him that he was called to greater things and so d.l moody said yes to the spirit And he started this Sunday school program and started bringing kids in off the street and teaching them life skills and teaching them about Jesus. He started schools to train Christian leaders and ministers, and he traveled all over the world teaching and preaching about Jesus. But the thing is, D.L. Moody, he was just an ordinary man. He just had an ordinary amount of skill. He wasn't the best preacher. He wasn't the most inspiring leader. He wasn't the most intelligent scholar So why was he so effective? It's because he was a man who was committed to saying yes to the Spirit. One night earlier in his life, D.L. Moody was walking the streets of town with a friend when his friend remarked, Moody, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. And that one comment changed Dwight L. Moody's life. And he decided that from that moment on, he was going to be that man fully and completely and totally consecrated and surrendered to God. He would be a man who said yes to the Spirit, no matter what. And he was. He was a man who was filled with the Spirit, and through him, God did absolutely amazing things. I wonder what that would be like for us. What God could do with an Etna Green Church of Christ, fully surrendered, fully consecrated to Him. What could happen if we opened every door in our hearts? What would happen if we committed to being people who said yes to the Spirit? Every single time. If we weren't just spirit-flavored, but spirit filled, Will you pray with me? Good and gracious Father, we're grateful for the many ways you speak to us through creation, through friendships, through your word, through worship, through preaching. Through the gentle tug of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Choose whatever means you deem necessary, Father, but we ask you today to speak to us. Each of us. Every person in this room, I pray that you would lay on their hearts something you want them to do. Tell them who you want them to become. Make the next step explicitly clear to them. We will say yes. Fill us with your Spirit. In Jesus'
1: Thank you, Luke. Your joke aside, that was all right. In Psalm 51, David has a repentant heart. And he asks God simply, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And when I think about our lives and all that we go through and uh, knowing that uh, the challenge is to be open to the Spirit, to be open to the spirit to guide us. For David, he simply said, grant me a willing a willing spirit. Do we have that willingness to be moved by God, to be open to what he's doing? What would a consecrated church look like, fully committed to him? Let's stand and continue.